Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Mother's Day is almost here. Have you found that truly special sentimental gift for your mom yet? Don't worry, I got you. MyLifeInABook.com is a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, MyLifeInABook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature And MyLifeInABook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges that she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and your children can treasure forever. Your mom has given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. I loved this idea so much that I've started my own My Life in a Book for my children to have. The thought of my son and daughter being able to learn about my life story as they grow into their own adulthood is truly special. It's been an enjoyable journey of self-reflection for me too, with questions like, which one event made the greatest impact on your life? It's brought back memories I didn't even know I had. I love it, and I know your mother will too. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER for 10% off today. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young, and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. For our story tonight, we're going back to my home and native land of Canada. Aspiring writer and journalist Louise Ellis would fall in love with an unlikely person in an unlikely place and situation. While writing a novel about a convicted murderer and gathering information for her research, she spent a lot of time with this particular inmate. But she didn't see a hardened criminal in front of her. She felt like there was much more to this man. She helped him to get an early release, and she fell in love along the way. Unfortunately, her heart would be the very thing that would get her killed when her lover turned on her and she became another one of his victims. Let's jump right in. Louise Ellis was known to be a very special person to everyone who loved her. 
Born on June 23, 1948, to a middle-class family in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, as a little girl, she loved to dance. So much so that her family noted that she would wear out the carpet that she danced on. She was the middle child of three and was honestly, truly born to be a writer. Louise had a way with words, particularly when interacting with children and younger people. She was able to communicate with them in a way that made them feel heard and seen. So it was a natural move for her to write and illustrate a children's book, which would go on to win several awards. But this was just one of her many talents. She was an avid organic gardener who also loved to cook the most delicious vegetarian meals made from produce right from her garden. She was also fluent in Tai Chi, and it really felt like Louise could accomplish just about anything that she put her mind to, including writing for the very prestigious Canadian Geographic magazine. But her real passion was in fairness and justice for all. She would fight passionately for the things that she believed in, to the point where it would sometimes get her into hot water with friends, family, and even her bosses. But whatever she was fighting for always came from the goodness of her heart, which is why she jumped at the opportunity to cover a story on the wrongful conviction of David Milgard while she was working as a freelance journalist in Ottawa. The David Milgard case was a very high-profile Canadian murder investigation. I'll give you a little backstory here so you can understand why Louise felt so compelled to cover this story. In 1969, David Milgard was a 16-year-old boy who had embarked on a road trip with two of his friends to drive across Canada. While the three teen boys were visiting a friend named Albert in Saskatoon, there happened to be a 20-year-old nursing student named Gail Miller who was found deceased on a snowbank in the area close to the home that they were staying at. She had been raped and stabbed to death, so as you can imagine, the murder received a lot of media attention. Things like this don't happen all the time in Canada. The police very quickly honed in on David and his friends as possible suspects, and it appeared that they just wanted to get the case solved quickly, so they were really putting the pressure on these boys. But the boys maintained that they had nothing to do with it. However, the friends whose house they were staying at, this Albert guy, he went to the police to say that David had been acting suspiciously on the morning of Gail's murder. He also claimed to remember seeing blood on David's clothes. With this information in hand, police arrested David for the murder of Gail Miller. The two friends who had traveled with David and had actually been with him at the time of the murder turned on him and gave false statements regarding David's guilt after they were threatened with being thrown in jail if they didn't cooperate with the police. And we're talking about teenage boys here, teens who were being interrogated with regards to a murder. It's easy enough to think that innocent people don't give false confessions, but we see it happen all the time. David Milgard was convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison when he was just 17 years old. While in prison, he said that he was beaten and he was raped, and he later attempted suicide. He tried to appeal his sentence several times, claiming that he was innocent, but he was always denied an appeal. 
He was basically convicted on his friend's statements. There was no physical evidence to actually connect him to the murder. And in fact, in 1997, when DNA technology caught up, they were able to test semen samples on the victim's clothing. And it came back as not a match to David Milgard, but rather a match to a man named Larry Earl Fisher, who had been renting the basement apartment at the home of David's friend. At that point, David Milgard had spent 23 years in prison for a crime that he did not commit. With all of that said, David's story would have been absolutely compelling to Louise, and as a journalist, it was a huge story to tell. In 1993, David was still going through the process of trying to have his charges overturned. The DNA evidence had not been tested yet, so everything was still very much in the preliminary stages with many court hearings. It was at one of these hearings that Louise heard a man named Brett Morgan testify against Larry Fish, the true killer of Gail Miller. Brett had been cellmates with Larry, and he claimed that Larry had confessed to him that he killed Gail. Whatever Brett said during his testimony really affected Louise on an emotional level. After the hearing, she met with him aside and told him that she was touched by his courage and bravery for testifying against his former cellmate. It's unclear to me if Louise knew Brett's history at that time, but I'd like to think not, because Brett was an incredibly violent man, and in my opinion, he likely only testified against his cellmate because there was something in it for him. Either way, there seemed to be this connection, a spark, if you will, between Louise and Brett. But Brett was still incarcerated at the time, so the two exchanged addresses and they began writing letters back and forth while he remained behind bars. And I have to wonder if Louise maybe had a feeling in the pit of her stomach, wondering if maybe she was making a mistake by communicating with this man. If there were alarm bells, warning bells going off in her head that maybe she ignored, or if perhaps she was just completely blinded by love, we'll never know. Maybe it was his eyes or his smile that made Louise believe that there was kindness in him, but Brett Morgan was a monster. As a little boy growing up in Edmonton, Alberta, he was described as a bad kid. He started getting into criminal trouble very early on in life when he stole money. He vandalized his neighbor's home, and he even threatened his mother with a knife against her throat. Things only got worse as he grew older and bigger. He clearly had something against women. He didn't like them showing any sort of resistance or independence. His first wife was a woman named Sandra, who married Brett when she was only 16 years old. She was very pregnant with his child and felt like getting married was her only option. Brett was 15 years old at the time, though he lied to her and told her that he was 18. Almost immediately after they were married, Sandra alleges that Brett began to get very violent with her. She described several instances where she really thought that he was going to kill her, including an incident where he tried suffocating her with a pillow, and another incident where he caused her to have a miscarriage after he repeatedly punched her pregnant belly. She made plans to try to leave him, but he caught her red-handed, overhearing a conversation that she was having with her grandmother. He became enraged. He punched her, dragged her by her hair, and pointed a shotgun at her. 
In order to save her life, as well as their young son's life, she promised to stay so that he would calm down. The next day, she escaped with their son with nothing but their lives and the clothes on their backs. Brett remarried, this time to a woman named Christine. Christine would say that she didn't really want to marry him, but he actually coerced her into the whole thing so that he could claim his aunt's inheritance money. Again, as soon as they were married, Brett became violent. While driving in their car, Christine told him that she was leaving him, and he immediately became enraged. He pulled the car over and started choking her, yelling out things like, if I can't have you, no one will, and nobody leaves Brett Morgan. By some miracle, there was a roadblock up ahead by the RCMP because there had been an accident, and Christine was able to escape the vehicle and get to the police. This literally, quite literally, saved her life. It's unclear to me if Louise knew the extent of his violent past marriages. I would like to hope that she didn't. These stories would only come out later when it was much too late to save Louise. My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in true accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep, No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes. Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals that are also dietitian approved No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. 
Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day because that's half the battle, and I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code NAPPER50 at factormeals.com slash NAPPER50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. At the time Brett and Louise had their encounter, he was serving a 10-year sentence for strangling 21-year-old Gwen Telford in her hotel room. Gwen was a sex worker who had the unfortunate experience of meeting Brett Morgan. For her death, he was charged with manslaughter, although really, he should have gotten murder charges. It was a pretty open and shut case, but somehow, he was able to convince Louise that he was now reformed. She believed him, and she fought for him. While many of her colleagues were fighting for David Milgard to be let out of prison because he was honestly, truly innocent, Louise fought for Brett because she was in love and she believed his lies. After serving only eight years of his 10-year prison sentence, Brett Morgan was given an early release and he moved into Louise's Ottawa South home. This was their chance to start fresh together and Louise was more than willing to help him begin a new life. She assisted him in starting up his own business, and she gave him a roof over his head. She supported just about anything that he wanted to do, and they quietly carried on. On the outside looking in, everything appeared to be going well. Louise was really quiet about their relationship, but she was a pretty private person. No one had any clue what was happening behind closed doors. Later, it would be discovered that Louise kept a diary where she wrote about some of the things that she was experiencing. It wasn't long after Brett got out of prison before the couple started having violent altercations. Brett would punch holes in the walls of her home if he became angry. At one point, they got into a fight and he poured a beer over her head. The spunky, happy, dynamic Louise that everyone had known and loved was now stressed out, miserable. She also noticed that money began to go missing from her bank account, including a forged check for $7,000 out of her personal line of credit, and another forged check for $5,400 just the following month. According to some of her closest friends, Louise needed space to breathe, and she had confided in them that she wanted out of this relationship. Unfortunately, she would never get the chance. On April 22, 1995, Louise vanished without a trace. According to Brett, the evening before her disappearance, the couple had been watching a movie together when Louise's ex-boyfriend called. They talked on the phone for about an hour, and the ex-boyfriend invited her to go to his daughter's birthday party the following day. 
So, the next day, Louise left early to go to Wakefield, Quebec, where the party would be happening. Brett said he wasn't concerned until the ex-boyfriend called to tell him that Louise never made it to his house. Two days later, on April 24th, Louise's vehicle would be found abandoned on the side of the road in Chelsea, Quebec. In a strange twist of events, it was actually one of her friends who discovered the abandoned car. The vehicle contained her purse and an overnight bag locked inside. However, there was no sign of Louise. And there didn't appear to be any reason for the vehicle to just be abandoned like that. There wasn't a flat tire or any sort of mechanical failure, and the car still had gas in it. Almost immediately, Brett becomes the worried husband. He's seen pleading for her safe return on all of the popular news outlets. He said, quote, She's my sweetheart. She wouldn't give up on me, and I'm not going to give up on her. Brett took a really active role in trying to search for her, putting together his own crew of volunteer search parties. Still, police were very much aware of his criminal and violent past, so he remained a person of interest, especially when a month into the investigation, he requested access to her estate. Police were also keeping a close eye on Louise's ex-boyfriend, the one she was supposedly on her way to visit, but they didn't really have any solid leads or evidence to follow. While the search for Louise entered the second month and Brett continued to play the role of the concerned husband, this story caught the eye of a woman named Marie Perron, a mother of four who was working as an investigator at the time. She was immediately suspicious of Brett's story, particularly because of his past and the way he seemed to be over-dramatizing in the media. She knew that she wanted to help, so she called him up and offered her services, stating that she wanted to help him find Louise. Of course, what she really wanted to do was to gain his trust and hopefully get some more information from him. But Brett was happy and willing to continue to play the worried husband, so he gratefully accepted her help. And I've got to say, this is pretty damn brave of her. She knows of Brett's past, and she knows that there's a pretty good chance that Brett has done something to Louise. While she feels like she is completely way in over her head, she felt compelled to pursue this. When Marie visited Louise's home to interview Brett, one of the first things that she noticed is that there were no female toiletries in the bathroom. Much of Louise's jewelry and her clothing was just gone. Brett had sold a lot of her belongings, which of course didn't sit right with her. His overall demeanor and the strange things that he was saying prompted her to go to the police where she offered to kind of go undercover for them. She would wear a wire during her chats with Brett to try to pull any information that she could from him. And this part of the story is really incredible. Marie had to maintain her composure while Brett said some really disturbing things to her. At one point, he mentioned that carrying a dead body was like shifting a sack of potatoes. It was very clear to her that Brett was a dangerous man, and she was putting her life in danger every minute that she spent with him. But she pressed on, even though it was far from easy. Marie would later speak of one incident where Brett even came on to her sexually. She said, quote, 
At one point, he kissed me. I wanted to throw up, but I didn't push him away because that would have made him suspicious. We kissed four or five times. The police were angry, telling me I was getting too close. They threatened to pull me out, but it was all part of my master plan. Sometimes they would go out together and search for Louise. During one of these searches, Brett took Marie to a secluded wooded area in Quebec. Suddenly, he took out a bandana and he slipped it around her neck and Marie immediately thought that he was going to kill her. She knew from reading his file that he had served time in prison for strangling a person and she truly thought that this was the moment that he was going to strangle her to death. But he told her that it was a present to keep her cool. I can't imagine the pure panic that she must have felt at that moment. Here she is in a secluded area with a man who has been convicted of strangling a woman to death and he has a missing wife. In that moment, she likely thought of her children at home and wondered what they would do without her. Thankfully, she would live to see another day. And her hard work, determination, and commitment would pay off. A few days later, Brett would take Marie to that same secluded area again, and this time, they would stumble upon Louise's body. It was almost as if Brett had led her right to it. However, it was Marie who spotted the body first and pointed it out. Brett acted shocked and horrified. The grieving husband act was back. He cried, wailed even, putting on a show, while Marie attempted to keep her composure and comfort him. Louise had been there for months, and by this point, she was badly decomposing. Her body had been dumped in this wooded area, which was located in close proximity to Louise's ex-boyfriend's home. Police believed that the plan all along was for Brett to pin all of this on the ex-boyfriend. That's why he had created this whole story of Louise leaving for the ex's house and never coming back. He ditched her vehicle on the road that was en route and then dumped her body in a wooded area near the home. However, when police were taking too long to find the body, Brett needed to move things forward by showing Marie where the body was. Either way, his plan did not work. With all of Marie's recorded interviews, with Brett's phone records, and now even leading them to the body, police had all of the evidence that they needed to charge Brett Morgan with first-degree murder. They theorized that Louise was getting ready to leave Brett, with him stealing money from her being the absolute last straw. Brett didn't like it when women tried to leave him, as shown in his past, but even worse, he was at risk of going back to prison if Louise decided to turn him into the police for the fraud charges. So he suffocated her while she was in the bathroom. He wrapped her body up in the shower curtain, and then he dumped it. In 1997, Morgan was convicted and sentenced to life in prison. He could have been eligible for parole after 25 years, but he died about two months into his sentence due to hepatitis C. I personally don't think anyone misses him, but it's a shame that he didn't have to suffer a little longer in prison. Police offered Marie Perron $4,600 for her great work on this case. I mean, think about it. This woman was able to crack the case in just six weeks while the police couldn't. 
Marie kind of took this offer as an insult, but I think the greatest reward for her was being able to find Louise's body so that her family could lay her to rest and to give police the evidence they needed to arrest her killer. As women, we often see far too much of the good in people, even to our own detriment. I don't know why we think we can fix these evil human beings. I guess it's just part of our nature. Unfortunately for Louise, her openness and kind heart would lead to her downfall. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper, or I'm here on YouTube, Nikki Young, Serial Napper, and that's all one word. If you'd like more ad-free exclusive content, as well as supplemental documents and details on all of the cases that I cover, make sure you join my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Serial Napper. I also post two additional Patreon-only episodes over on that page every single month, so go check it out. Until next time, don't be a Dahmer. Bye. I'm Dean, I'm the dad. I'm Laura, I'm the mom. And I'm Crystalyn, I'm the daughter. And together we are... Family Plot! The Family Plot Podcast, a show where we discuss history, folklore, true crime, and the paranormal. Minus all the oogie bits, we are PG-13. Don't ruin the commercial. Catch us looking into special topics like the origins of fairy tales, Sherlock Holmes, and the trial of Dr. Hyde and Mr. Swope. Find out who Dad Man Crush is. Or what happens in Krista's Corner. But behave, you two. So come be a part of the fam. Available on Google, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Family Plot Podcast. Bye!